0: is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam.
1: And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello. Welcome to Good Faith Effort. I'm your host, Ari Lam. We have an awesome show for you today. I'm really excited. We have Sharon Cameron here with us. We have a ton to talk about. And let's dive right into it. Ancient tradition divides up the Bible into 54 portions, just about one for each week of the year. So each week, we take a look at one portion and identify a big idea or a big question that comes out of it. So we have a killer show for you today, an awesome guest, the incredible author Sharon Cameron, lots to talk about. So let's dive right into this week's portion, which is all about the story of Noah and the flood. So remember Evan Almighty with Steve Carell? It was like a sequel of sorts to Bruce Almighty. It's actually a super underrated movie. That's one of my hottest takes. And if you've ever seen it, you basically know the Noah story. But if you haven't, let me refresh your memory. In the book of Genesis, God approaches a good guy named Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood because it's full of sinners. But to you, I'm offering advance warning so you can prepare and save yourself. So what you should do now is build an ark, a huge boat, and use that to ride out the storm. So that's what Noah does. He builds an ark, he loads his family aboard and a bunch of animals two by two and all that jazz, and they float around until the flood subsides, and then they repopulate the earth. Now, the story is justly famous, and there's a lot to learn from it, But I want to point to one very strange thing about the story. And in order to do that, I'll need to teach you a little bit of ancient Hebrew. The book of Genesis introduces Noah by saying Noah was a righteous man. Okay, so far, so good. But then it says he was perfect, which in ancient Hebrew means in his own generation. So isn't that like weird shade to throw at Noah? I mean... If he was a righteous man, just say he was a righteous man. Why continue and say, yeah, he was great, but only for his time. And in fact, the ancient rabbis noticed this subtweet of Noah and pointed out that it must be that the Bible is trying to tell us that Noah was pretty good, but he wasn't as righteous as, say, Abraham, another important character from later in the book of Genesis, So what gives? What was wrong with Noah that the Bible needs to downplay his virtue and say that he was only good bidorotav in his own time and in his own context? And I think the answer lies in a story told about a famous Hasidic rabbi, Reb Elimelech of Ljensk, and I'll quickly tell it to you. He lived in Poland over 200 years ago, and the story goes like this. Reb Elimelech was an expert in repentance, and so his students come to him and ask him, What's the best way to repent? And Rabbi Melech says to them, you know what? If you want to see really impressive repentance, go find this simple innkeeper by the name of Moses and see what he does. So the students, you know, are skeptical, but nevertheless, they go and observe this Moses in secret and they see him do the following. He takes out a book from on top of his shelf and he starts reading out of it. And he says, God, I want to confess before you all the sins that I've committed this year. And he reads out a list of sins that are bad, but, you know, not terrible. I gossiped too much. I forgot my prayers one day. I yelled at my kids. I overcharged a customer for a glass of beer, you know, stuff like that. And then this Moses reaches up to the same shelf and he takes down a much larger, much nicer book. And he opens that one up and he says, and now, God, let me read you a list of your sins. My mother died this year of a terrible sickness. A few months ago, I was beaten by a gang of peasants and I was robbed. People in this town suffered from plague, from poverty, and wars continue to ravage the land and people are killed every day. And he goes on and on and on. And when he finishes, he says, Dear Almighty, I know that I've done some bad things this year that have affected the people around me and have been offensive towards heaven but think how much suffering your actions caused this year. So how about this? You have mercy on me for my sins and will forgive you your sins. And the students are amazed. They run back and tell Rabbi Melech what they've seen. And he starts to cry. And so the students ask, why are you crying? And he says, I can't believe it. Moses, the innkeeper, had God in the palm of his hands. He had the Almighty himself, the master of the universe, right where he wanted him. He could have asked for anything. And instead, all he asked for was personal forgiveness? What a wasted opportunity. Now, put yourselves in Noah's shoes for a second. God tells you he's going to destroy all of society on account of its terrible sins. But you, because you're a good man, I'll give you advance warning so you can escape. Now, most of us in that position, we would have taken the same deal Noah took. It was a sweet deal. If everyone else is probably doomed anyway, let me at least save myself, save my family, save my loved ones. And that kind of survival instinct isn't evil. You can have that instinct and still be a decent person. But even if it's not evil, it's also not heroic. And as the ancient rabbis point out, Noah could have warned people. He could have gone to his neighbors, undeserving though they were, and tried to help them, kind of tried to help them prepare. Noah could have sacrificed much more to help those around him. He could have stood up to God himself, as so many genuine heroes do elsewhere in the Bible, and demanded justice. And since he didn't have that truly great moral courage, that audacity, the Bible is only willing to say that he was righteous, bedorotav, in his own time because truly historic righteousness, the kind that never fades even with the passage of history, demands extraordinary sacrifice on behalf of others. And that's what I want to talk to you about with my amazing guest today. I want to talk about moral courage and extraordinary sacrifice. So without further ado, I'm super excited to introduce you to Sharon Cameron, the number one New York Times bestselling author of a bunch of books, the most recent of which was just published a few months ago and is called The Light in Hidden Places. Sharon, thank you so much for being on Good Faith Effort.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Oh, my God. I'm so excited. So your newest book, (laughs) The Light in Hidden Places, it's based on a true story about a remarkable young woman, Stefania, and her little sister. These are non-Jews living in Nazi-occupied Poland during World War II who undertake this incredible sacrifice. So can you tell us a little bit about this story?
0: Yes, um, Stefania Podgorska became a personal hero of mine when I heard her story told in an oral history interview with the uh, United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And that was long before i become a writer. So this is a story that has been within me and marinating within me for many decades now, more than I care to say. But Stefania was a 16-year-old Polish Catholic girl who had the soul care of a six-year-old sister, Helena. They found themselves on their own, destitute, alone in a small town occupied by the Nazis. Right where you want to be. War II. Yeah, it's just right. the, per- the perfect place, exactly. And um, in the middle of the night comes a knock on the door. And on the other side of the door is a young Jewish man, Max Diamant, who has just jumped from a moving train that was taking him to a death camp, and he is broken and bloody, and he says, please, please hide me. And Stefania and Helena together decide to hide Max, and that choice leads to hiding his brother and his brother's fiance, um, until there are 13 Jews hidden in a secret space in the attic of their little cottage but wait there's more (laughs) but wait there's more because there's another knock on the door and this time the knock on the door is two ss officers and they are requisitioning that cottage of stefania and helena's for staff quarters for a new german hospital that is going in across the street so the nazis move in and there are now four nazis in a bedroom With 13 Jews hidden directly above them, and two young girls to stand in between these two things. And Stefania and Helena rose to this occasion with the kind of love, courage, and commitment to humanity that that I could only ever aspire to. They were truly heroes.
1: What's amazing is that Stefania is really young. Helena, if I recall, is six, right?
0: Yes, she's six, seven, and eight during this time
1: frame. It's amazing. Yes. And... You know, when I think about kind of parenting styles nowadays. So, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my parents never knew where any of us were. We would go out and play pick up. Yeah, we would go out and play pick up baseball like you just meet your friends at a random park. Nowadays, you know, I, I was reflecting with a friend of mine earlier. There's no such thing as pick up baseball anymore because you're not allowed to let your kids go anywhere, or do anything. So exactly. What struck me is that this is a story about just the incredible heroism and accomplishments that young people that children are capable of and and Mm -hmm. how do we kind of unlock that in a modern age where you know we just don't let our kids do anything.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely an independence of spirit that Stefania had, not only in just being in the situation where she would be living apart from her family, where she would be on her own, but in the fact that, you know, before the war happened, she was working for and living with Jews. And during this time period in small town Poland, this was not a normal thing to have happen. But she really did become part of their family. They took her in as a daughter and she considered them uh, to be her family. And it took me a while in my research to understand what kind of courage that was. I thought all the courage was in the decision to hide someone in your attic and to risk your life, you know, that you would be pulled out in the middle of the night and shot the way she saw other people um who had hidden Jews. She saw those things happen. And so she knew those risks. I thought that was the was the That's courage. But yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yes, exactly. But she was from a very young age, um bucking everything that was around her. She was going against her culture, against her family. Stefania and Helena were both disowned after the war from their family for hiding Jews. She went against everything because it wasn't just an independence of being, it was an independence of spirit and an independence of thought, where she very early on made a decision. And she wrote about this in her memoir where she actually saw two boys fighting in the street and one was Catholic and one was Jewish. And the fight had started because one boy called the other a dirty Jew. Wow. And she went home and looked in the mirror and touched her skin, touched her face, and said, My skin is just skin. My skin is not different than Jewish skin. It is all human skin. And therefore, we are all the same. And she made that very independent choice inside herself at a very young age. And I think it's that choice from the very beginning that was a small act of courage, you know, a small act that is just inside yourself that actually led to the other choices that eventually changed 13 lives.
1: You know, it makes me think that, you know, I think when we think about sort of the classical values upon which a nation like this, America, is founded, we often talk about independence and individualism as if they're the same thing. But listening to you now, it strikes me that those are actually two things. Mm -hmm. Individualism, you know, is a concern with the self. And Stefania isn't concerned with herself. I mean, she goes out of her way to help other people. Independence is that willingness to look evil in the face or look something that's not working in the face and say... It's worth pushing back against this. And the way to, to sanctify that kind of independence is to sacrifice on behalf of others. It's not a concern for yes. the self. Real independence pushes you towards others, not away from it others. It is
0: stepping outside yourself, I think, is it is the ability to look outside yourself and to step outside of yourself and not only to think, but to do. That's and, amazing. And I, th- yeah, and I think that is, that is certainly what set her apart from so many of the people around her. Wow. Even now.
1: So one last question. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a time where whether it's cancel culture or social media in general, I feel like our culture has kind of become obsessed with villains um, and figuring out, you know, how villainous can we make a particular person seem? And yet you have spent all this time really researching a hero. So Mm -hmm. what is it like in this kind of culture where we're all obsessed with each other's sins? Has it sort of redeem this moment for you to really focus on someone who's truly incredible.
0: I think what it gives me is hope. Like you said, we focus so much on the negative right now and and even among Holocaust literature, you know, we have focused so much on the negative, and and as we should. We need to know these survivor stories, and we need to know what really happened, as we should. But I think it's so worthwhile to remember the ones that stood up, um, the ones that said no, that chose humanity over hate and decided to be independent, to to have that courage of their own convictions and to act on it. And the fact that, that we can do that, Stefania Podgorska was a very ordinary young woman, you know, and I'm struck by what you said about Noah being only righteous enough for his time. You know, pretty ordinary guy right. is what that is. What that says to me. And, you know, yet Stefania was ordinary teenager, a girl in a time and in a culture where women weren't as valued. She was young. She was doing everything that everyone around her said was wrong. She was not an important person in the scheme of the world. And yet she was able to make that one small choice that led to the bigger choice and the bigger choice that eventually changed the world for those 13 people. It changed everything for them, for their children, for their grandchildren. She changed the world. And she did that being small. It makes me think that even when you feel small, your choices matter. And that my choices, your choices, anyone's choices have that same potential to change the world like hers did.
1: Amen. Sharon, thank you so much for being with us on Good Faith Effort.
0: You are very welcome. Happy to be here.
1: You know, we often think that righteous people must be special, different Superhuman and we ordinary folks might be good, but greatness, true greatness is probably beyond us. But the truth is that some of the greatest people who ever lived were just ordinary people. And what made them extraordinary, what made their greatness not just timely but timeless, was their willingness to look beyond themselves and sacrifice on behalf of others. faith effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple podcasts or your podcast app of choice, because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Paul Ruest. This is a Joshua Network podcast presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at G faith effort. Follow Ari at Ari Lam and sign up for our email list at thejoshuanetwork.com.
0: The Joshua Network is now Soul Shop.